a little over 500 years ago, um, after God had been moving for several hundred years in the hearts of people who had been very rejected, Martin Luther went to the church of Wittenberg And even as a Catholic priest and as a monk, his eyes had been awakened to the fact that none of his good works could save him and that he was completely helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus. And the God that he had even confessed to hate one time, whenever his mentor, a Catholic mentor said, you've got to learn how to love God. He said, love him. I hate him. For all I see is his constant judgment over my head waiting to damn me to hell. How can I love him? And then one day, he was reading Romans 1.17, and he realized the righteousness of God by faith. Wait, that's not just speaking about the righteousness of God and his judgment of me. It's righteousness of God that I can have by putting my faith in him. And he said, in that moment, it was like the chains fell off. I was set free, and it felt like I had been reborn. And so he put together 95 arguments, not even expecting to leave the Catholic Church, but he went there where you'd put notices, and he said, I simply want to debate people on these 95 pieces right here that I think are wrong. And God moved mightily, and souls were set free. Darkness fell away. Great pain was, had been paid for by many people, even hundreds of years before him. John, Jan Hus, or John Hus, he had actually been burnt at the stake hundreds of years before. Martin Luther would pick up his writings he'd find in the uh, monastery there, and he would read it, and he'd say, I could not find for what reason the church would burn such a godly man for these things that he had said. They even took the ashes of John Hus, and they threw it in the river. And one commentator would later say, the ashes of John Hus, they went in the river, they flowed to the next river, and the next river, until they filled the ocean. And then the world was filled with the doctrine of that dear man. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? God never ceases to work. Jesus said this, my father never stops working. And uh, we have been learning church history in our academy over here, our junior high and high school. And I I have been learning so much. It's been so wonderful. And, um, you know, uh, anyone here familiar with Charlie Brown with Peanuts? They have a little clip and it's about church history. And it's Lucy. And she's sitting there with Linus. And she said, she's thinking in one slide. And the next slide, she starts to put pen to paper. And she says, "When, when learning church history, it's important to go all the way back to the beginning. Our pastor was born in 1930. That's funny, right? But a lot of times we barely know our own church's history, let alone what God has been doing. Because when we're learning that, what we're really seeing is what happened between the end of Acts 28 and me today. And that's what we've been doing. We've been seeing what God has done. And even when darkness seems to be coming over the land, how he is always working behind the scenes and how we find ourselves today. And then we're confronted with this fact. Wow, what will my role be in church history? What will I do with all that has been given me today? So it can, it can be a very exciting thing. It doesn't have to be dull and it doesn't have to be dry. A very, very exciting thing indeed. It, open your Bibles with me. Uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 7. I want to talk about unworthy let, yet loved. Unworthy yet loved. How many times do we feel unworthy before the Lord? Maybe even tonight, whenever we, we sing, uh, I bow down, I, I lay my crowns at your feet. I feel unworthy maybe when we look at our own sins, our own flesh, our own failures, at propensities. Um, we've lost our cool, whatever it may be. We can feel so 
unworthy. Or perhaps tonight you don't know Jesus. And you have that sense like Martin Luther did years ago. I'm just unworthy. And God is just and he is holy. What would he have to do with me? All he wants to do is be angry at me. And whenever he really, that's why he came and he died for you. Because he loves you. He loves you so deeply. Luke chapter 6, verse, uh, sorry, excuse me. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 49. I'm going to read this and all the way through. And then I just want to walk through this together. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat, him being Jesus. They asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. And he reclined at table. And if you would, go ahead and put up that picture if you can. I want us to understand what it meant to recline at table. This is how Jesus would have been reclining at table. This is how the Greeks and the Romans would eat their food. And the Jewish people would have patterned the way they ate just like that. Uh, And as you can see, this person in the blue here and how he's next to the lady, that's how John at the Last Supper would have leaned against Jesus' breast. If you ever wondered what that meant, he, he would have been right there and able to lean right against him. And he would have been able to tell secrets, whatever he would have wanted to do is what they said. Um, And so the person at the top, that's, you know, Jesus said, don't seek the highest seat at the table. That's it. That's the highest seat. Everyone below them would have been below them. That's the place of honor. So they would have been leaning on their left arm and feeding with the right hand. And the commentator said it was not comfortable. This, this was not comfortable. It was just the style of the day. And let's keep that up right there because I feel like this is going to actually help us to see the story. Perhaps in, to visualize it in a way. We, we, we understand the story, but to visualize it in a way that will help us from now on. And he uh, was reclined at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, makes more sense now, right? Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet. And anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. She's unworthy. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. When I read that, I get like really afraid. Could you imagine if Jesus said that? Andrew... I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. (laughs) A certain money, and then he tells a parable, very short one. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? They could not pay. It was a debt that neither of them had any ability to pay. That's all we should really be taking from this parable. They owe something of which they have zero ability to return. And so all of the implications, we can remember that if you didn't pay your debts, you know, God had said to the people that every seven years, you'd forgive the debts. But they found a way around that now. So to not be able to pay your debts, 
meant imprisonment, right? Because a narrow, another parable Jesus told spoke of two people or spoke of a man who owed his master a great amount of money and he could not pay and so he was going to be delivered to debtor's prison. Remember that? So that is what would have happened in this case. Both of them could have gone to prison. They could have had these legal ramifications that they were going to have to face. But this person, he didn't act like the Jewish society around him. He granted mercy and he canceled the debt of both. That, both, that neither of them had the ability to pay. Now which of them will love him more? Makes more sense. You could be thrown in jail. Which of them is going to love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. He judged rightly on two accounts. That she was a sinner. And that the person who would love the master more was the one who had been forgiven more. You've judged rightly. It's also interesting. Chapter two before, it talks about judging others. And be careful the judgment with which we judge. Isn't that amazing? That just occurred to me right now. So that's, that's kind of cool. I just learned that too. You've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Just imagine Jesus. Let's just pretend he's the one there in the blue. Do you see this woman? I entered this house and you gave me no water for my feet. We walk these dirty streets. And you've given me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears. Wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who's forgiven little loves little. She wasn't forgiven because she loved, but it, it flowed out of that forgiveness that she found in Jesus. Verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith saved you. Go in peace. Hallelujah. I just want to talk about this. This, this was this was a woman who, at, at, at minimum, she got around. At worst, she was a prostitute. Her hair was out. It was down. It had to be for her to wipe Jesus' feet. Women, their hair was actually considered to be the most beautiful thing. Or one of the most beautiful parts of her physical attributes. And that's why it was important to cover that up. Because otherwise it was immodest. Now that's changed in our culture very clearly because no one here is wearing any sort of a veil, right? But here was this woman. How did she find her way into this house, right? That, that's something that I didn't even really start to think about until I started to read this more. I know that it was bold of her to come into this house, but she heard about him. Turns out that the religious Jews in this time would leave their home open somehow. Whether it was a window, whether it was a door. They would have left it open so that the poor could come in. Now, it didn't necessarily mean that you were welcome, as far as I understand, at the table to eat. You were supposed to sit back from the table. You could come in, but you were supposed to just listen to the conversation going on. Maybe she was coming from a client. 
I don't know. Maybe she, maybe she had a broken heart. Maybe another man had broken her heart. And maybe she was just passing down the street. Or maybe, like many times, it got out, Jesus is in the town. Jesus is in the town. He's in the Pharisee's house. And maybe, like the woman with the issue of blood, she said, I'm not going to allow anything to get in my way. I am going to go where I'm not even allowed to, where I shouldn't even be allowed to go. And I'm not just going to sit on the outskirts, but I am going to go to this very one. I'm going to go to him. Was she repentant? Was she expectant? She was weeping, weeping. She wasn't just crying. It wasn't just, I'm so sad for my life, single teardrop, weeping. I can just imagine just breaking down, just weeping because she was wiping his feet with her tears. There was sufficient water coming out of her face. You can imagine the brokenness. You can imagine the realization of all of her sins coming out of her eyes. This is who I am. I've sinned against God. I mean, this is a Jewish woman. She heard the law. Do not commit adultery. Sinner! Guilty, unwanted. She chose this life. Whatever pushed her into it, I don't know. I don't even have to go there. Jesus agrees. She was a great sinner. Notable sinner. Her name, her face were known among everyone in the town. It is true what they're saying about her. And she knew it about herself. Whether she had felt some guilt and shame about it before, I don't know. But something changed this night. Something changed this night. And I was, as I was reading this the other day, I just was gripped by this woman. And I just loved her. I just loved her. Because I'd always seen like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. But like to be able to be in her shoes that I'm that woman. And I'm weeping those tears over Jesus' feet. It's just amazing. The hair of her head. She took her beauty. Look, I have to assume that she was a good looking woman. Right? I have to assume there was something desirable about her to be who she was. And if her hair was her beauty, I have to imagine that she took care of that. Because in the culture, that's what you did. And if this is who she was, that's what you would have done. Otherwise, there would have been no business or no man that would desire her. And so she took what was extremely beautiful and she wiped the dirtiest and the filthiest part of Jesus' body, his very feet, from walking all day long in ministry. Her beauty wiped the filthiest part of him. And then she kissed his feet. My goodness, this woman is amazing. She's amazing. She's a hero. She, she owned everything that she was. And she had such wisdom to come to Jesus. She had such revelation of him that not even this Pharisee had of the one that was in his very own home. You know, some, some people had more money than others. Some people, if the Pharisees, I'm sure some had more money than others for various reasons. Perhaps he did not have a lot of money for oil. But, but for sure, if he's got food before someone, he could have provided water for their feet, right? That was an honor. Why didn't you honor him? 
you welcomed into your home. If this man was a prophet, was he just testing him? What was the point of this? Did he think there's something about him and I want to have him in my home as a curiosity? I don't know. Did he have some respect? I have to believe there was some respect, but it fell so short. She kissed his feet. It says it was a customary practice among the Jews, the Greeks, and even the Romans to kiss the feet. It was a mark of affection and of reverence. It was also the practice of supplicants and of those who had an important request to present. What do you think the request that she was presenting to Jesus with her kisses upon his feet, her tears and her hair were? What do you, the oil, what do you think her request was? The forgiveness of her sins. Can you forgive my sins? Will you forgive my sins? I'm such a sinful woman. And everyone knows it. You know it. Will you forgive my sins? Will you forgive my sins? Will you wash them away? Will you do it for me? Please? With tears just pouring down her face. The Pharisee, I mean, can't you? I just wanted to ask him when he says this. He says, If he was a prophet, this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Don't you see her tears? Don't you see her on her feet like a dog groveling? Don't you see her treating him like a king? Can't you see her heart? Don't you see she's making no pretenses, no arguments? She's there just doing everything that he should be doing, but he can't see it. When it's happening before him, what's amazing and would have been uncomfortable to me because I'm not Jesus is still just laying there with my feet behind me, letting her do all that. Don't you know it actually takes humility to let someone do something like that? Years ago, I was at another church and we had a small group and we were going to wash each other's feet. And... Someone, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do that. They, one, the guy, he washed one foot. And I was like, I just, this, is, this is uncomfortable. Please just, I'm, I'm done. It just, it was, to me, it was weird. It's not my culture, right? I've never done that. God bless you if you're good for that and you do that. That is awesome and wonderful. But for me, I just was like, I'm not that sanctified yet. But Jesus sat there and, and let her wash his feet. He let her, knowing full well that everyone around him is judging him and judging her. And yet he let the scene play out on purpose. He wanted them to see this. He's the Messiah after all. He's God in the flesh after all. He's worthy of this. And he's receiving her worship of a sinful woman. What was wrong with the heart of that Pharisee? The person forgiven the most of an unpayable debt was forgiven by the master. You gave no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You gave me no warm, no friendly welcome. You didn't honor me like this. And you didn't anoint me. But this unworthy woman did. What did she know? What did she know that the other people didn't know? In Isaiah 52, 7, if you want to turn with me there. 
She was a Jewish woman. She was somebody's little girl. She wasn't always the woman that she was. She was somebody's little girl. Something changed. Something happened. I'm just going to imagine perhaps it wasn't a perfect home because just, just the way life is. But at some point, I just have to believe she was treasured. At some point, she heard teachings. At some point, she knew of the law and of the prophets and of the writings. And of the prophet Isaiah, he said this. How beautiful, in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are those feet? Did she know that? I don't know. Maybe she did. Or maybe, maybe for sure she had to know this. That in Joshua chapter 2, whenever Israel was going to the city of Jericho, the spies went in and they found a prostitute's home named Rahab. And she found salvation. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. They went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there. She says, hey, I fear your God. She said to the men in verse 9, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to the death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Harlot. Rahab. Surely this woman, she knew of Rahab. Perhaps that is how she mustered up the courage. And it says in Matthew 1.5 in the genealogy, which of course she didn't know that because it wasn't written for at least another 30 years. But Rahab was in Jesus' genealogy. God takes unworthy men and women who have abused their lives with the world and who no one would want, cast them aside, used up. And he takes them and he puts them in his own family because he wants them. And he wants you, whoever you are in here, even believer who calls yourself unworthy. Rahab married a man and she was the great, great And maybe one more great grandmother of King David, if I read it correctly. Wow. Wow. But what we do know for sure is this. There was someone else in Luke before this that Jesus had said, your sins are forgiven. It was the paralytic. It was paralytic. He couldn't even take himself. Four men let him down. 
Their faith was so great. Their faith in action. I believe that Jesus can do this for me. So they rip away the roof of the home quite rudely. They drop him down and Jesus sees their faith. And he says, sons, your sins are forgiven you. And again, they, they ask, who is this who says that he can forgive sins? And he says, the son of man has power on the earth to forgive sins. Surely that must have gotten out. It must have gotten out all over. Even if it was said like, I can't believe he said that. Maybe she heard it in the street. Whatever happened, she showed up. And he said, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you to this woman. Can you imagine the joy that she left with? Can you imagine the shame she came in with before all of these men, with all of their pomp, with all of their religious position? She must have felt like an absolute worm. Or perhaps she just lost all sense of who she was because she knew what she needed. And she got to the one that she needed. He let her do that. And then he turned to her and he said, your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She came without peace. And she, she left in peace. What's also really interesting is right after this, in uh, Luke chapter 8, it starts to speak about all of these different women who supported Jesus' ministry. It lists a few names and it says, and many others. And I just wonder, I don't know if she owned a brothel or, or if she was one of those or what. I just, I wonder, and it's not in there, I wonder maybe she was one of those people that helped to support them. I just think it's pretty cool that immediately afterwards, the author moves straight into that. So I tend to believe he's just, we do know Luke is just elevating women and that gospel. Even a woman like that. So I want to know, have you been forgiven by Jesus? I want to ask, have you been forgiven by Jesus? Are you in need of forgiveness for your countless sins? The debt you could never repay. That's what Martin Luther realized. He would beat himself with whips. He would stay up all night. He would wear rough pieces of clothing to afflict his soul, to somehow make amends to God for all he had done. Tormented. He would go to confession for six hours at a time, confessing nothing very interesting, what the priest said. But and then as soon as he was done, he'd go to confession right away again because he'd say, ah, I'm so proud because I felt good that I had confessed all my sins. Jesus will forgive your debt. Just like he forgave that woman's debt. Just like he forgave Martin Luther's debt. You can leave with peace. Jesus will let you touch him. Religious crowds may not let you touch him. You may have to dress a certain way. Talk a certain way. Be rejected. Jesus will never put preconditions on you. You can touch him with your sin. He will let you. He will let you. Trust him. And your sins will be forgiven. Humble yourself at his feet. Pour out tears if you need to. Lay down your life as if it is an alabaster box. Break it open on his feet. Pour it out on him. And he will receive you to himself. He will forgive you of your sins. For that is the reason he came. Was for unworthy men and women. Unworthy. 
If there was anyone unworthy, it was the man on the cross. Some translations, older translations would say a thief. It really would be better translated someone who had taken place in an uprising and murdered someone. That's why Barabbas was also going to be put to death. Because they had an uprising and killed somebody. And it appears that these other two were with him. Unworthy scum. Remember me in your kingdom. Oh, I tell you that even today, you will be with me in paradise. And if you come to Jesus by faith and pour out your life at his feet, even if you were to die in a car wreck, you will be with him today in heaven forever. No good works required. By your faith, you can be made whole with peace in Jesus. He died for your sins He poured out his blood for your sins to wash them away as far as the east is from the west like we're hearing tonight and never remembers them again. This is what he provides for us. He rose from the dead for you. I remember when I was saved, I was broken. I was lonely. I was depressed, untold, unfathomable, and unneeded to do. To, to, to relay to you what kind of sins, unspeakableness, sins, ungodly, unwicked, unworthy, yet loved. For God so loved this unworthy world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would never perish, would not face judgment, would not be called before their heavenly judge With a debt that they could never repay and sentenced to prison and hell forever with no escape. But he would say, enter in to the rest that has been prepared for you. We need to get the lost to Jesus' feet. We feast with him. We get to feast with Jesus. Let's honor him. Let's honor him with our worship. Let's honor him with our prayers. Let's honor him with our life. Let's get the lost to Jesus, the unworthy lost, the despicable ones, the ones who we all know are yuck, disgusting, ungodly, the abusers of those among us, like Paul, like Hamas. Pray for them. Get them to the feet of Jesus. No one else is praying for those soldiers. No one else. How many others? I don't mean to say that no one else literally is, but you just understand my heart in saying that. The lost aren't hoping they get saved. How many believers are hoping they get saved? How many are saying, Lord, let the ones who decapitated those people, committed these heinous crimes, destroyed families, made couples childless and children orphans. Father, break their hearts, soften their hearts. Let them know a forgiveness which they are not worthy of. Let them come to know this. Let us get them to Jesus' feet, putting no stumbling block in their way. I went today with Chris Mahalik. We went to hunt prison. It was literally the last thing that I wanted to do, in a sense, because just the busyness of everything going on. And they said, hey, Pastor Andrew, you, you coming today? I was like, oh, man, if, I, if, if, I, if you can go without me, I'm not. He's like, well, I want you there. Uh, yes, sir, I'll be there. So we went there. We went to the geriatric uh, uh, dorm. There were a couple hundred guys, I guess, with four large rooms. And uh, there was this one man named Ben, and uh, he was in his early 40s. And I said, hey, look, we're with First and Testament Church. 
We've been coming in probably about 25, 30 years here. Every Wednesday, when you hear call out 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., we would love it if you'd come. We, we would love you to be there. We, we love you guys. We pray for y'all's needs. We bring that before the church. He said, uh, I'm an atheist. It immediately came to me, the pain of life. It just entered into my spirit just right away, just the pain of life. And I just asked him, why are you an atheist? Not to battle him, not to fight him, but well, why are you an atheist? He said, man, just life. It's beat me up from one end to the other. Destruction, everything I see on TV. I said, honestly, whenever I see all that happen, it proves to me the Bible's true. That God gave us free will. He didn't make robots. He gave us the opportunity to, to continue on with him in the garden or to turn away from him. He gave us a choice, but he also gave us a warning. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. And the day you do, you will die. And I said, you know, Adam, he just didn't see all the effects that were going to come. So that shows me it's true. I said, but you know what? Jesus loves you so much. He came and God came to deliver you of the punishment. He came and he loves you. I said, we love you too. And we really would love for you to be there. We'd love to pray for you. I said, we, we love you. He said, I believe that. I believe that. He's in prison. He's got a leg amputated. He didn't get there for speeding tickets. He's unworthy, but he is so loved by God. So loved by God. And also just want to tell you that believer, you can touch Jesus too. No matter how unworthy you feel, no matter the failure you felt, no matter the thousandth time you've fallen into the same sin and same temptation, and you hate yourself and you hope no one finds out, again, he loves you. It says this in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I believe the King James says that he can't be touched with our infirmities. You can touch him. You can touch Jesus with your infirmities, believer. You can touch him with your sin. You can touch him in your failure. He is not rejecting you. Come and touch Jesus. Come and touch him. Come and take hold of his feet. He loves you. He's your great high priest. Let us then come, verse 16 of Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Not when we feel good. Not when we've battled temptation and won. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And failure. And weakness. To do the things he wants us to do, which we know we cannot. So I want to invite the music team up. And I just want to invite you, just like we were singing, to just come and touch the Lord. Just come to him tonight with whatever need you have. Come and touch the feet of Jesus, even with your lost loved ones, with the unlovely ones, with the unworthy ones who need his peace, who need his rescue, who need his forgiveness. Can you come to that throne of grace? Or let's say tonight you are lost and you don't know him and you hold upon yourself all the sins of all your life. Would you just come to the feet of Jesus? He is waiting for you and he will let you touch him and he will not slap your hands away. 
but you'll find a God who looks at you in the eyes and who says, you are forgiven. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. And he won't send you away from himself, but he'll come to live in you and to be with you even until he returns or he brings you home one day. Let's just come and let's touch him. You cannot repay to be made right. Even as a believer, you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And there's nothing you can do to keep yourself with him other than trust him still. You cannot repay for your failures. Own them before him and let him wash them away. Let him cleanse them. Let him take them as far as east is from west, believer.